It's good to be here with you this morning. I want to thank Pastor Jim for uh, introducing me and, and for this opportunity to preach to a church that honestly has, has meant so much to me. But maybe in uh, Corona land, that statement is odd to you. <laughs> maybe many of you have, have never had a conversation with me. This could, in fact, be the first time you've seen my face. Regardless of all of that, your prayers, Staples Mill, and, and your giving and your faithfulness to God has blessed me and my family personally, and it has blessed Covenant Life Church tremendously. And so I want to say to you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, thank you so much for partnering with us as we plant this church in Lakeside. And I was praying when, when Pastor Jim told me that he was going to allow me to preach here, uh, that, uh, that what to bring to this church, to a church that receives on a regular basis an excellent diet of God's word preached to them with, with faithful conviction. And God impressed upon me that you and I should worship over the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I'm excited this morning to ask you to go ahead and, and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And if, if you're online with us and you don't have a Bible, uh, you can look it up on the Bible app or you can look it up online. Um, but however you get there, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And uh, our structure this morning, just so you can follow along, is this. The gospel is our great need. Uh, the gospel is the Bible's entire message. And the gospel is our great hope. Before we jump in, will you, will you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come to you grateful for the gospel. Grateful that, that you have reached out to us and provided reconciliation for us. That we can worship you this morning in spirit and truth because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us to you. Thank you for, for achieving and paying for our salvation on the cross and then, and then making us to be new creations that come to you in true worship this morning. And, and our hope, Lord, is that we would truly worship you, that we would give you all of the glory that you are due this morning. Help us to do that. We know we can't do it without you. Lord, it's in your name that we pray and the people of God say, amen, amen. So our passage in Hebrews starts this way. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So this morning, as we consider the goodness of the gospel, I want you and I to rejoice over the fact that God spoke. And, and maybe we take this for granted. Do we know this morning that God owed none of us a spoken word? Do we know that the supreme God of the universe never had to speak at all? After Adam and Eve rebelled against him, he could have never spoken to humanity again, and he would have been absolutely just to do so. But can you thank God with me this morning that he has spoken? Amen? Amen. The Bible tells us, in fact, that without God speaking, we would be hopeless to know him. To understand who he is. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this to us. It says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you didn't grow up in the church, you might remember that time. 
when the things of God were folly to you. And this is not just a New Testament idea. The, the Old Testament tells us as well in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God says to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are, are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. On our own, church, we have no ability to understand who God is. No more so than an ant could understand the one who holds them in his hand. Our very nature, in fact, is different than God's. Our thoughts, our ways are nothing like his thoughts and ways. Because ours have been polluted with sin. The things of God uh, are, are discerned spiritually. And the natural state of man is actually in a state of spiritual bankruptcy. See, you and I are born into the consequences of our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. Romans 5.12 says it like this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Over and over again, you and I have agreed with uh, Adam's decision to rebel against the Lord. It's spread to all men. First John 1 John 1.8 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, we were born with a sin nature. It, it comes natural to us. How many of you know this morning that uh, you don't have to teach a child how to lie? Do you know that? Yes, we can all raise our hands if we've had kids. Listen, a as a hobby, I like to paint miniatures. And you didn't know that I was a nerd, but now you do, Okay. But that's not the point. That's not the point of the illustration. So the other day, I, I went into my office, and there was this brush with red paint lying on the table, and there were various things about the table uh, painted red. And they're not supposed to be. Long story short, we find out that my youngest son, who's four, Nehemiah, was the offender. And when he's confronted with his crime, he began like a courtroom prosecutor, prosecutor rather, making the case for why it was everyone else in the house that was guilty. And the most amusing part of the whole ordeal was his passionate explanation of how our dog Tater uh, opened the paint with his nose and painted things with his mouth, okay? Now Tater's a smart dog, but <laughs> he's not that smart. <laughs> What's really going on here? Well... My darling child lied. He sinned on several fronts. He knows he's not supposed to play in my office. He knows he's not supposed to play with the paints. And the evidence of his deliberate disobedience was illustrated by his willingness to lie to cover it all up. Listen, it might surprise you we didn't teach him to do that, okay? It's his nature to do this. And Nehemiah is not an anomaly. Human nature is sin nature. So what's my point? Church, friends, online, you and I have no chance to spiritually discern the Father. His character, his expectations, or his salvation on our own. Without God speaking, you and I would only be helpless law breakers. We would live our lives in opposition to God, and then we would die. That's what lies a natural man. And Hebrews 9.27 tells us what happens after death. Hebrews 9.27 says this, it's appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. And Romans 6.23 doesn't make it any better because it says for the wages of sin is death. And it's talking about spiritual death. God's word is clear. 
It's clear that you and I, without God, would be judged for our sins in church. We would receive hell. Now, that's an unpopular truth today, but it's still a biblical truth. And I love people enough to say it. God would continue to be a just God if we were to receive hell. Listen, it's a terrible, terrible thing for sinners to perish in hell, but it is not an unjust thing. God is a good judge who upholds justice and this glorifies him. It's only an entitled people that think they deserve heaven. As if by existence, God owes us mercy. He doesn't. He doesn't. Our situation, friends, without God speaking to us is very bleak. And maybe you're here today or, or, or maybe you're here online and you're thinking, listen, my situation is not quite as dire as you think. I don't deserve hell. I'm not that bad. And it's natural. It's natural to try to comfort ourselves. But church, friends, we must not deceive ourselves. We can only say that we're good when we compare ourselves to other people. Okay? Let me go ahead and tell you the truth. There are a lot of people in this world that you're morally superior to. And if you think about all the bad other people do and you compare it to all the good things you do, you can come out looking pretty good. Okay? You may look at that version of yourself and you might say, man, I'm going to polish this up. And you might think, surely God would accept such a person as me. I'm better than most. Let me say this, when you compare a 100-watt light bulb to a 40-watt light bulb, it seems pretty bright. But the standard that God has given us is not other people, church. It's not the 40-watt light bulb. What is it? 1 Peter 1.16, God says this, be holy because I am holy. The standard is God himself. He sets the standard. Holiness that deserves heaven, holiness that deserves reconciliation with God is perfect obedience to God. And as we examine the commandments that God has given us, we can only find ourselves to be wildly imperfect as we delight in sin and rebellion against God. Listen, when you compare a 100-watt light bulb to a 40-watt light bulb, it seems pretty bright. But when you take that same 100-watt light bulb and you hold it up to the sun, you can't even tell that it's on. You catch my drift? When you and I compare ourselves to God's standard for goodness, our bulb is busted. Okay? We are revealed as sinners. And listen, even still, some of you might be saying, well, listen, God is reasonable, Pastor. He's reasonable, and I do more command keeping than I do command breaking, all right? Well, James 2.10 has bad news for us there. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You cannot earn your way to salvation. The truth, dear friends, is undeniable. You and I are guilty lawbreakers who deserve hell. And without intervention from God, that is exactly what you and I will justly receive. That is not good news. Now take a breath, all right? I'm done beating us up for a minute. Ready? Whew. Read with me verse 1 again because it's beautiful. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Does anyone else want to shout amen there? God did not stay silent. He did not leave us in the state of rebellion without any hope. The Holy Word says this morning that God spoke. Amen. He spoke. 
Now, now, now what did he say through the prophets? What has God been saying all throughout the Old Testament? The overwhelming message from the prophets is this, that salvation is coming. Rescue is coming. We see it all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when there's an announcement by God that a son of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 3.21, we see the picture of the sacrifice of the cross as Adam and Eve are covered with garments of skin. Death occurred to cover human transgression. There wasn't a skin tree in the garden. An animal had to die. All throughout redemptive history, leading up to the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, we see in the Old Testament pictures and types and shadows where God is crying out to us, I will send a rescuer. I will not leave you in this broken state of rebellion and sin. I will bring reconciliation to you and me through my Messiah. These are the words that God spoke through the prophets. Everything the prophets prophesied about church find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us as we continue in the passage. So the gospel is our great need. It reveals to us our great need. But the gospel is also the Bible's entire message. Listen to, to Hebrews as we continue to read. So he says, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And then he says this, but in these last days, in these days we live in, he has spoken by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, what is the Holy Spirit telling you and I? What is the writer of Hebrews telling us? It's this. The prophets are good. Listen, Moses is good. Abraham's good. And, and Samuel and Isaiah and Elijah and Jeremiah. I'm not going to name them all. They're really good. But Jesus is better. He's better. The prophets spoke of the Messiah who would arrive. But Jesus is the Messiah who arrived. Amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies from the prophets. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says this, no prophecy, no, not one, not a single word of prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. These prophets spoke about Jesus as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has been foretelling all the way back from Genesis, his coming son. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that now, in these last days, we have not the prophet speaking about the son, but the son speaking for himself. And, and the question then has to be that we ask, well, what does the son say? Does he agree with the prophets? The message of Jesus in the scriptures is this, church. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is the salvation of humanity. He is the rescuer. He is the reconciliation between holy God and sinful man. In 2014, uh, a gentleman named Bart Ehrman, who's agnostic to the faith, released a book called How Jesus Became God. The Exaltation of a Jewish Preacher from Galilee. And the premise of the book is that, is that Jesus never claimed to be God. But he was elevated as such after his death. And, and I just have to stop here and say the amount of denial and linguistic gymnastics required to read the Bible and make that claim is absolutely astounding. 
Because Jesus was not cryptic, amen? Jesus was not silent about who he is or what he came to accomplish. Consider first, before we even get to what he says, what he did. Jesus commanded demons. Jesus commanded nature and sickness. He raised people from the dead. He raises Jairus' daughter. Uh, he raises the, the, the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He raises Lazarus. Jesus heals physically and, and spiritually even. He proclaims to the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. Jesus, in fact, accepts worship as God. After he calms the wind and the waves, the disciples are in the boat with him, and they say, surely you are the Son of God. And they worshiped him, and he does not stop them. He knew people's thoughts. He predicted the future. This and more is all that he did that proves he was God. But he doesn't stop there. Then he also speaks. Listen to what Jesus says. John 10, 30, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. In John 8, 58, Jesus says to the Jews, before Abraham was, before Father Abraham ever was, I am. And they, they were not confused about that statement. They knew that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh and that they were the same. They picked up the rocks and they wanted to kill him for being a heretic. In, in John 14, 9, Jesus says, how can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Our text this morning says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. To look at Christ is to see God. Jesus is God in the flesh and furthermore, he is God our rescuer. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the everlasting water. He's the light of the world. And in John 14, 6, he says this about himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. So the prophets, they prophesy about Jesus. Jesus comes and he teaches himself. And what, you, what we see is this beautiful synchronicity that culminates in the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? The gospel shows us our great need. The gospel shows us that the Bible's entire message from the beginning has been about the coming one who would save us. And our last point here as we, as we move forward is the gospel Brothers and sisters, it's not just knowledge, it's not just information, but it's our great hope. We can attain it. As we continue in our text, it says this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's not miss this point. He sat down. He sat down. Listen, how many of you know when there's still work to do, you don't sit down? But he finished the work. He completed it. And he sat down at the right hand of majesty. Amen? Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament types and shadows. The sacrificial system we see in the Bible, uh, it was this picture of man's need for purification from sin. When that animal was sacrificed, it was a picture of the penalty of sin being given to a, a sin bearer instead of the one who deserved the punishment for sin. And every single Old Testament sacrifice, it is pointing to Jesus. 
Jesus is the true picture of these sacrifices. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament sacrifices. They had to be offered year after year because they only pointed to the reality that one day would be made manifest, that God would one day send a perfect sacrifice that would once and for all pay for the sins of all God's people. Amen. That is good news. Well, let me let me let scripture explain it better than me. Romans 3.23-25 3, tells us this in a beautiful way. Let me read it to you and, and then we'll drive this point home. It says this. For all, every person, every one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, he redeems us, whom God put forward as a, a propitiation, a substitute by his blood to be received by faith. And it says this was to show God's righteousness because, because in, in divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does this mean? What the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the Messiah and what Jesus revealed himself to be was the final and complete sacrifice for sins. The Bible could not be clearer. It's Jesus. We're no longer waiting on the Messiah. He has come. Jesus made purification for sins on the cross. He, he took the sin of God's people and he paid for it on the cross. He is the true and lasting atoning sacrifice for sin. Jesus is our hope for salvation. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so I have to ask you this morning, have you trusted Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? If you haven't trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then your sins will not be forgiven. Because they can only be forgiven by the blood, death, and resurrection of Christ. Listen, hear me please. Your good works will not pay for your sin because they're not good enough. But Jesus' good works were because they were complete and not lacking in any way. Jesus was born of a virgin and he didn't receive that hereditary sin of Adam. And then in his life, he honored the Father in every way. He loved, the, he loved the Father with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. He never sinned. And so his life was the true, pure, and spotless lamb. It, it is the truth of what all the sacrifices were pointing to. And this offer is for you and for me. Listen, listen, this is good news. We don't have to carry our sins on our backs anymore. The Bible tells us that sin is not freedom. In fact, it is chains and bondage. If you haven't trusted Jesus, if, if you're in this building and you haven't trusted Jesus, if you're, if you're worshiping with us online and you, you haven't trusted Jesus, I want to beg you to come and trust him today. Aren't you tired of your chains? Aren't you tired of the condemnation of sin? 
Listen, I know you know what I'm talking about because before I was set free in Christ, I too felt the crushing weight of my sin and I felt the unstoppable march and arrival of death. Aren't you weary? Jesus says to you this morning, he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened with sin, and I will give you rest. For There's no qualifications there. He just says, come, and I will give you rest. He says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So if you've never trusted Jesus, will you come and trust him today? He loves you. And he knows exactly who you are, and he still loves you. Amen? He wants you to come. He wants you to receive the rest that he's won for you on the cross. And right now, here, here's the truth. We're always in a spiritual battle. And if your spirit is stirring inside of you this morning, whether it's here or online, and you're starting to think, maybe I should trust Jesus. I know there's another voice that's saying to you, this pastor doesn't know you. This offer isn't for you. Jesus actually can't forgive you for what you've done. Well, that's just a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That voice is the voice of a liar and a defeated enemy. His home is hell and he wants you to come with him. Jesus knows you fully. He knows all your secrets. He knows all your sins. Every single one of them. And he loves you. He died so that you would not be defined by them so that you would be free of them. <laughs> That's good news. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you haven't trusted Jesus this morning, I, I beg you, trust him. Come today or, or email in or respond online. You contact us in some way and, and let us walk with you in this new life that, that God provides for you. Don't wait. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Come today and receive forgiveness for your sins and the glorious salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for you. And we'll celebrate with you, brother and sister. As a new brother and sister in the Lord, we'll walk with you in this new and glorious life. Let, let me just say this. In your entire life, you'll never receive a better offer in your life than the offer of the gospel. Amen? Jesus is a true treasure. He is more glorious than everything else in our lives. So our text this morning in Hebrews ends like this. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You might think, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> well, there was this controversy that the, the writer of Hebrews was addressing with that statement. He was addressing the worship and infatuation of angels. And, and he very simply says this to them, that Jesus is superior and Jesus is more excellent than they are. Friends, let me say to you, Jesus is more superior and more excellent than everything else in your life. If you possess Christ, you are rich indeed. If you possess all the riches of the world, but you are bankrupt of Christ, you are poor indeed. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, let me ask you then, just a point of, of application for us. Do our lives' priorities point to the superiority of Jesus over everything else? Or do we only confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and our lives don't match that confession? 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you're here and you're hearing this message, let me just take this time to say one more plea to you. Your point of application is this. Don't waste your life hoarding fake riches of the world that will pass away. At your death, they will be of no benefit to you. In fact, they'll only stand to condemn you as things you put your trust and hope in other than Jesus. He is superior to everything else in your life. And he is your only salvation. It's found in him. So this morning our text, it's pointed us to the glorious gospel of Jesus. And we can thank God. We can thank God that in his grace he spoke to us at many times and in many ways through the prophets. We can thank God that he, he came and he dwelled with us and he spoke to us, teaching us the way to salvation and then accomplishing that salvation on the cross. We can thank God that he's a God who speaks. And we can thank God that his word reveals to us his unmatched excellence and superiority in all things. So, so let's do that now. Will you bow your heads with me in worship and thank God? Let's pray.